Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to Seth Rodney and Stephen Fullwood. Gentlemen. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Um, hi, this is Stephen Fullwood from the, um, the wow, well, about to say the American Age, which is what we're doing now. Uh, Stephen Fullwood from the Nomadic Archivist Project. And I'm Seth Rodney speaking to you from the South Bronx. I'm an editor at Hyperallergic Blogozine, and I'm also an instructor at the new school uh, at Parsons. And to remind you that uh, what we do here is practice a kind of intellectual in intimacy, uh, which we do our best at given our uh, disparate locations. So I'm on the West Coast uh, near Los Angeles and Seth and Stephen are in uh, New York, where I just was yesterday. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, today we're we're going to talk about um, the discrepancy, or what does one's social media profile, and we're going to talk about our our own social mm, media profiles. Yummy. What do our social media profiles uh, accurately and uh, falsely represent about us. Um, you know, they can only, they really, your social media profile can really only come out in a, in a limited number of registrations. Um, and obviously we are probably far more, I know we, the three of us are certainly more complex than that. And I suspect most people are as well. So, um, I, I thought maybe what I would, I thought um, a way into the conversation. And if you, if, if either one of you has another way in, I'm, I'm very happy with that might be, for you each to maybe summarize what you think your social media profile says about you. If you didn't know, so if you were a stranger looking at your social media profile, um, how would your politics register? How would your intellectual positions register? Uh, how sophisticated or nuanced of a thinker would you appear to be? Hey, Stephen, you want to take that first or shall I? Um, sure. If you want to go ahead, that'd be great. Okay, great. I think that I've done quite a bit of rumination around this initially when I went up on Facebook, which was many, many, many years ago. Less so, I should say, for Facebook, because I've been hanging around there for such a long time. More so when I created my Twitter profile. Um, and for a while, and I think more so, actually, no, more so when I became an editor at Hyperallergic. Because that sort of vaulted me into a sphere of attention from, you know, writers, curators, other art, uh, uh, artists, et cetera, people in the art scene. And it vaulted me in, into such a, a space of attention that I thought, I really do need to care about this. I really need to, to sort of prune the, the, these branches so that... Um, so that I end up with the kind of um, image that I want, the kind of public image that I want. Mm -hmm. What I thought I was doing up until yesterday, and I'm going to explain why this was yesterday. Mm. Uh, up until yesterday, what I thought I was doing was in, on Facebook, I was sort of sh sharing the sort of interesting things I came across my feed. Interesting dance, interesting performance, uh, curious ideas. And I thought my Twitter feed was more like, Here's the sort of slightly more business-oriented stuff, which is here's the stuff that I just uh, edited on Hyperallergic or just wrote for Hyperallergic, and here's some of my, by the way, here's some of my po political thoughts. 
Uh, a lot of retweets from people I, I really, really, really agree with. Strongly agree with. And then I had a conversation with Travis yesterday when he was in New York. And he said, you know, the thing about your Twitter profile, and he also mentioned this about Stevens, uh, is that it comes off as pretty un-nuanced. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I, I had to agree. Like I, looking back at the tweets, I can see myself becoming progressively angrier. And I think really what, what, what starts off that process, what starts that ball rolling down that rather steep hill is the election of uh, Agent Orange. I, I just have been beside myself. I'm just bereft of things to say and do. I've, I've actually come to the point where I've, I've felt a kind of despair because I feel like we're sliding toward, and this is another podcast, but I feel like we're sliding towards a kind of autocracy. It's just, and it's deeply frightening to me. And not not, not just frightening, It's it, it makes me want to despair. So that said, I think the most accurate vision of me is actually broadcast, promulgated by my author page at Hyperallergic, because there you get to see the kinds of things I write about and care about and how I talk about them. And how, they, religiously, how religiously do you share your work at Hyperallergic on Twitter and Facebook? I feel like it's not that religious. I feel like you, I mean, I know it's not like I follow, I mean, we talk so much, I don't follow your social media very closely, but I do peek in and I don't feel like you regularly share your stuff on social media. That's because I share so much else. But I actually I do see. share every single. I don't write that much these days because I'm editing so much and because I have mm -hmm. these other projects. But sure. I, I write maybe one or two or two or three things per week, and then I do share them on both on Facebook and on Twitter. Mm. Okay. Uh, and oh, and I should mention Instagram. Instagram is a completely different side of me. Basically, all you see on Instagram is what I see in my mm -hmm. right travels. Um, you see the art that I think is interesting, worthwhile sharing, and that's it. I know, I don't know social commentary, no political commentary, just here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's a relatively accurate, uh, worthy view into who Seth Rodney is, I think, but definitely the Facebook and Twitter accounts are uh, skewed, I guess, versions mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's the long and short of it. Oh, wow. I think my social media presence is, it may be a third, maybe even lower, maybe a fourth of the sorts of things I want to talk about, but I don't feel like it's, they're the proper forms to do that. Um, mm. I feel like digitally... You know, I feel like all of us caught us by surprise. Digital life caught us all by surprise. Mm -hmm. And that there's something exciting about it and fun and and in a way a little disturbing. Not even a little. It's disturbing. Mm -hmm. There are times when, you know, you, for example, um, a colleague of mine passed away a couple of weeks ago. And mm. we all found out about it on Facebook. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I'm starting to understand that that's the norm because that's one of the ways in which we connect. So it's a way to connect, but it's still, I guess there's no easy way to find out that someone that you care about died. Do you know? But it, yeah. it's starting to become a little more frequent because that's, it's an area where we share information about who and what we are and what we love. Mm -hmm. Um when I think about my F Facebook presence for me, it's just a lot of fun swimming around and 
posting music and quotes and things I think are intellectually stimulating and fun and and at times I just want to make you know social critiques about things but they be they're just the beginning of thoughts and so they're in a way they're not um fully formed they're just experimental for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um Instagram is more about selfies and more about architecture and trying to capture light in a particular way so it's a way to kind of teach myself light um, and the kind of things that sort of um, intrigue me about photography. So mm-hmm. that's what it is. Twitter, I do so little with Twitter. Mm-hmm. So little with Twitter, and I have to beef it up because of the business. Um, because of Nomadic Archivist Project, you know, I'm seeing more mm-hmm. things that I think I want people to not just know about us as an entity, but also about the kinds of things we're interested in. So both right. my colleague Miranda Mims and I are, are both pushing ourselves to do more Twitter in that mm-hmm. sense. But the stuff I, I typically blog about are archives, black LGBTQ life and culture, things I think are intellectually stimulating. Sometimes a DJ, I call it DJing, you know, um, where I used to just follow the feeling of a particular um, genre or artist or just thought. Or sometimes I would try to write a poem with songs. So I was trying mm. to push what I think Facebook could kind of be. Mm. Um, and it's funny that you were having this conversation this weekend, but the, the conversation I was having with myself is, I think I just want to get off social media completely, which I'm mm. sure all of you have thought this before. You know, you just mm-hmm. get exhausted with mm-hmm. the amount so, of... So I would like you to get off social media completely after we have like 10,000 podcast <laughs> listeners or something like that. So at that, <laughs> point, at that point, you should feel free trap, to exit right? social media. <laughs> this is the trap. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where does Stephen go? We were going to hire him, you know? So <laughs> it's like, goodness gracious, are we all just imprisoned by social media now? I mean... Oh, God. So, yeah. you know, I, so for me, if, I, if I'm going to answer the question for myself, I mean... I did not have at all a robust social media presence. Um, not as some principled, so, you know, I, I always feel uh, uh, the need to qualify things when I take seem to take a contrarian stance. It's not, I wasn't not on social media because I had some principled position against it. Just, it wasn't my habit. It wasn't, I sort of, you know, I had at different moments in my life been sucked into being on it more and less, you know, but it never stuck in any kind of real way, uh, for probably just for a variety of reasons, constitutionally, probably because I was too busy watching, you know, I don't know, the latest Marvel Netflix series or something, right? So it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not high minded necessarily. Now, when I came back to start to do more social media um, in, uh, for the American age, uh, you know, I did some research, like, how do you use Twitter? How do you use Facebook? You know, best practices, things like that. And and the American age presence, um, which I, I guess is essentially mine right now, um, is, is intentional and curated. And one thing that I have worried about with it um, and have tried to s- start to steer away from a little bit is um, I, I feel like probably – Partially because of the name, the American Age, and this is something Steph and I discussed before you and I knew each other, Stephen. But uh, something Steph and I, Steph and I discussed when when I was uh, going through the process of trying to name it that the American Age can kind of ring as a as a conservative name because of the way um, America is owned by a particular uh, political wing in this country. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And and so that was a self conscious choice because I wanted to push back against that. But what I found, I mean, it's it's the odd. I mean. 
you and I really sympathize with Seth because um, like you enter these currents and you just kind of get swept into these currents. And so in spite of my best intentions at a careful curation, like it almost felt conservative in some ways, like that the social media presence wow. of the American age felt. And so I've had to store, I've tried to tack left right off of that because in reality, what I'm arguing for, I think a return to principles is actually will produce a much more radical liberal open society, not a conservative society, but a much more, I mean, when you think about communities that are purely grounded in principle, these are the most radical communities that, that human beings invent. I mean, I'm talking about sort of, um, you know, uh, like, uh, the Essenes in the Gnostics and stuff like that. I mean, people that are dedicated to, to abstract abstract principles of whatever fill in the blank tend to produce some remarkably energized communities, um, and so I've I've worked to try and tack left. I mean, just in that sort of ham fisted right left kind of way. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, yeah. And you know, because I'll sit. You know, I, I don't do this on Twitter. I know this is social media, but you know, some crazy thing will happen in the news with the president or the Senate or Mitch McConnell or something like that. And Seth can tell you, like, when if if once we're like in a, a more private setting, like I I am I'm full of uh, spit and venom. Like there is <laughs> lots of stuff that makes me very very angry. Yeah, um, so. But yeah. I try I try not to to uh to share that part of me on social media but why i think it's uh, useful but why you don't think it's useful i just had a conversation with someone about civility and properness and while someone's stumping on your grandmother's neck what do you do and Mm. that's that's a very very large thing but i'm actually thinking about civility i can give you yeah i can give you a specific answer to that so this is this is why because in a public fight I am fighting for the people that are in between and on the fence and are ill-informed. And and the way that you conduct yourself in it's it's the Jackie Robinson syndrome, right? I mean, wh- why did Jackie Robinson I mean, he was already way better than anyone else playing baseball. Why did he need to be like the ultimate boy scout? Because who he was playing for was not just the black community, it was all of those potentially potentially sympathetic whites. Mm. that could read something else in him, could connect to a kind of humanity in him. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, like, no, no, if if it was actually, you know, like if I was on stage with someone like that or in a private conversation, like, no, you don't hold back because you are in a fight at that point. But I feel like in that public forum, mm-hmm. you conduct yourself with decorum because you're trying to grab the other, You you need, you need, you need sympathizers to move the dial in a democracy. So, so. but being on the stage, though, your your example, you, yeah, it is you're, public. You're yeah, that's no, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. So, I, I, I after I said it, I was like, ah, that's probably not true. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. So, so, so can I can I just interject with how I think that this this line of argument or this line of thinking around public versus private uh, behavior works with me, particularly on Twitter. I think, and y'all know this about me well now, that because I grew up in a very Christian 
uh, deeply Christian household, I still retain some of the sort of remnants of uh, a sense, a profound a remnants of that kind of upbringing. One of the remnants being a profound sense of guilt and of needing to behave in public in a particular way. Mm-hmm. How this works with me in terms of my Twitter presence is that for pretty much every tweet that I've ever sent out or every retweet that I've ever sent out, which is, you know, retweets are not uh, originally uh, uh, penned by me, but they're penned by somebody else. But I agree with the sentiment I send it on. I think to myself, if someone finds this in a few years and they, and they confront me with it publicly, will I be able to say, yes, I agree with that. Yes, I stand behind that. There are a couple of tweets that are on the, on the border, and I actually am thinking of them now. Like there was one where the, our, God, it, it pains me to say this, our president sent out some nonsense. It was, you know, there's been a, a steady stream of, of nonsense, but it, this particular tweet, and it wasn't even this particular tweet that, that annoyed me, but he said some, he sent out something. And I responded, you know, the, the, something like, you are so egregious that what I feel is that not that you mustn't just, not that you, not only that you must die, but that your kind must die out in order for like, our our republic to be saved right and i and i do stand by that i do i do think it was overly harsh i do think that i mean that's the kind of thing that i would have trouble defending but in but in a principled way i do actually think that there are people in our culture who make it very very difficult for us to live with integrity or in peace or in any sort of, or or even treat each other as adults, and I do believe that about him. But at the same time, I, 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 I struggle with this with this notion of being the Jackie Robinson of taking the quote unquote high road mm-hmm. of 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 conducting myself with a certain kind of, um, I guess propriety, um, uh. I struggle. Mm. I, I I love you both, and I just want to say these are artificial standards, even the ones mm. that we've made up for ourselves, because I think of what the background is, meaning the point of reference. Mm. Um, so just something you said, Seth, about struggling with it. I like the idea of you being okay with whatever you said at any time in your life because you're allowed to change your mind and evolve and do all kinds of things. Mm. One says one thing and then they're not allowed to change or think (laughs) differently. And Travis, I love that you expanded my sensibility about who you're fighting for because it gave me some sensibility outside of myself and outside of a particular community to Mm. say, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this because I'm... I'm thinking that the work that I'm doing, that I'm deliberately doing in terms of building archives and helping people get their stuff to archives and help people help people build mm-hmm. um, their own archive, is it's very personal and very political to me. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like when I go to events and someone's on stage and I get on the mic and I'm, I feel like I need to express the rage 
Mm-hmm. And the anger, I mean, the rage is anger, the, um, the discontent that I feel, because I feel like mm-hmm. that that's useful to those very people that you're talking about as too, to mm-hmm. Travis. Mm-hmm. I think they're important as well to see someone speak in that manner. Yeah, yeah. I, um, it's funny, when you before you got to that last point, I was thinking that, uh, you know, it's sort of in this sort of the Buddhist skillful means kind of way. Like, you know, what do you... You trying to you know the house is on fire. How do you get the people out of the house, right? So, um, and so you know that approach of actually giving. So you know here's and we don't we don't often talk about race in, in explicit terms like this, but um, that rage on me, um, I don't feel like would wear very well, and mm. I feel um, is a even when genuinely felt uh, a kind of appropriation that um, is is just not very useful. It, now, I, I'm not saying that there can't be white people that feel j- just as uh, indignant that human beings have enslaved, you know, and most recently enslaved Africans and uh, East Asians in this country. I, I absolutely believe that that can be felt deeply by by anyone of any skin color. But how that reads in the public space mm-hmm. is different based on how you look and where you come from. And so I feel like in in what you just said, needing to articulate, provide a conduit for that outrage and to say that your the pain that you feel and the disregard that you feel is valid and you have every right to your anger, I absolutely, I am convinced by what you just said, I could see that being a potent and positive force. I am not convinced that that is the best way for people that are not of color to approach these issues. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think I would be less effective, uh, though we're on a very small stage. I feel like I would be less effective at moving people if I approached it in a similar uh, fashion. Mm. The only thing I would, res- I would say in response to that is everybody needs to breathe and everybody needs to be themselves. All of us need to come across the water as we are. And I think that that's part Part of what you're saying, I think, is quite beautiful and thoughtful and tentative. And so... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. But I yeah. think all of us need to come across the water as we are. And that's, that's why I think there's such a pushback from the right, because I think that there's the impression, if not the actual, um, actual move ahead socially, that people are getting too... Diverse people are getting too far ahead. <laughs> and I hate using diverse. Um, I need better language. Um, and that something's being lost. And I do think some things are being lost. I think white supremacy is taking a hit and it's, it's swinging back. And I, but yeah. I feel like yes. I feel like I can't give in to too much of what they say we should do to achieve anything that looks like freedom. So I'm always mm. weary of that, you know, and trying to be mindful of that. And I just want to say one more thing before I finish in that I'm reading Looking for Lorraine, The Radiant and Radical Life of Lorraine Hansberry by the wonderful uh, Imani Perry. And in the book, Lorraine Hansberry is discussing Cuba. And this is in the, mm-hmm. um, you know, and she goes, well, I think my government is wrong. I would like to see them turn back our ships from the Caribbean. The Cuban people, to my mind, and I can only speak for myself, have chosen their destiny. And I cannot believe that it is, this is, that it is the place of the descendants of those who did not ask monarchist 
of the 18th century for permission to make the U.S. a republic, to interfere with the 20th century choice of another sovereign people. Thinking about what freedom means and how it's shaped, she's, she's got me thinking about some of these things in different ways. And so um, she spoke her mind. And we see through her archive at the Schomburg Center, the Lorraine Hansberry Papers, we see the inner turmoil she had thinking about the very issues that we're talking about now. How do mm -hmm. we say these things? And she was definitely involved in the civil rights movement and raised money and wrote about it and attended a meeting with Robert Kennedy that went awry. And, and you, knew that, you knew that there was this frustration with why are we acting as if we're special Negroes here <laughs> mm. when there are people dying everywhere mm. for the kind of freedom that we're only sort of partially talking about in this meeting, if that makes any sense. But uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I just I was I was going to give Seth an opportunity to we're coming up on time. So I was just going to yeah. Seth has to Seth has to run and write an article for NBC. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I, I feel in, in an odd way deflated by this conversation, not because anything that's been said here is somehow negative or bad, it's that I'm realizing as we speak that what you've made, what this conversation has made me realize is that I carry around a lot of reflexive sort of, not even, the word isn't guilt because guilt is the response, but more a kind of, yes, a kind of self-censoring -self mechanism. And it's not what I'm getting, what I'm realizing now is that it's not self-censoring in a really useful way for me. I think I need to, I need to be, I need to come from a place because I, I'm very aware that I do not want to treat people with contempt. I don't want to act from a place of contempt. I do want to act from a place of clarity and a place of, of meaningful intent to, to, to create situations that are the kinds of uh, kinds of that allow for the kinds of communities I want to live in. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm realizing as I listen to both of you now that maybe the way I've been approaching the ways I talk about politics on Twitter and even on Facebook are a little bit too they're too bound up in that self censorship mm -hmm. reflex. There needs to be some, I need to come at this from a, a, a slightly different angle. And I'm not sure how to do it yet. Um, I need to do more thinking on this. But uh, yeah, maybe deflation, maybe deflated isn't the right way to describe my, my sense of myself at this moment. Maybe it's more, oh, I've hit a wall and I need to find a way over or through it. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, one thing I, I just to toss in um, as a, to 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 make a a more principled point about um being careful as Stephen characterized it is if i'm careful and we and we create a, a and we create a public sphere in which people are careful i would say it's sort of analogous to kind of herd immunity with a vaccination so if i'm mm. careful and i'm considerate I can live in a public space where someone reacts with anger and I can hear that and I can give them the space to do that because I believe that that is not the space that that person is always operating from mm. and that they need, they need to express something. Whereas 
if if I am always reacting emotionally, I close that space. Or as as a as a society, as a culture, if we're letting everyone's emotions just fly, then it's more difficult, I would suggest, to create an open space where you can feel and express those things. Um, that would be, that's my suggestion. Right. So you're saying that one should, on the one hand, allow people the space to be angry, despairing, whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. But at the same time, for yourself, recognize that what? There has to be a critical mass of people that are careful. There has to be a critical mass of people that are considerate. Mm. And there has to be a critical mass of people that are, and I'll, I'll use Stevens, um, I think not inaccurate, but slightly more critical label for that, which is restrained, right? So I, I'm okay with a level of restraint in a complex cultural sphere um, because I want to give people, like, you know, I... I I want people to be able to stand up in a public sphere and be really pissed off about, you know, fill in the blank because they probably have a reason they're really pissed off about fill in the blank. And I don't mean that in a despair. I mean, there's no way that in a complex society this large that we're not trampling on people. There's just no way. You just, we, this, that is the price that we pay. And here's the thing. Other people are paying the price. Right. I'm not I don't have to pay the price. You know, I no no police officer is going to break into my home and shoot me because I'm smoking marijuana in my apartment. Mm. Right. So we're waiting for you to make a comment about that again <laughs> or something similar. <laughs> You're all of us are in danger, Travis. Not just black men, <laughs> not just black people. You are, too. Once your li- once our once anyone's That's... liberties are are compromised, your liberties. Fair enough. Fair enough, fair enough. That's no, true. I, fair actually, enough. I was thinking just that, Stephen. I was thinking, yeah, but what if you're in the car with me and I'm smoking up and the cop comes by and I reach for my wallet to show him my ID and he shoots yeah. me and shoots you. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, every, everybody's in danger, I think, when... Yeah, and, and yeah too, you're right. Uh, 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 when we don't act, when we don't act on principle. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I appreciate, Travis, how you delineate the struggles of just the regular black person versus a regular white person. I appreciate you yeah. delineating that. But yeah. I also definitely want to, to bring in this idea that no one's safe here, not even the rich, yeah. not even people who think. And, and this is the, um, not the conundrum, but this is the, um, the weirdness of people thinking they're safe. Like, you know, it's the it's yeah. the weirdness. It's really weird. The the word I mentioned earlier though was tentative. I think did I say careful? Because I thought uh, I'm, you you may have said tentative. Tentative is actually I think sounds tentative. right. I think, yeah, I think, tentative I think is one of more right. where I was yeah. going because so. I think it, it gives you because it gives you space to to attempt and to um to not be like you said um to be always explosive. Which to be honest, when you said it, I was like, I get it. There are times when you can get angry and you can. And it's okay if other people are angry too or frustrated. One doesn't. Um, these are these are times when there's no script. Yeah, I appreciate the the falling back of it, so that other people can such and such. But when is your time? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you can ask my wife. I mean, I I'm pretty hot blooded. I mean, there's pretty. I mean, I I definitely. Uh, 
my it's important that I that I am tentative in the public space. So um, I mean, emotional. It just sounded like a confession for domestic violence. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just <laughs> saying that emotionally, like yes. um, yeah. I do uh, feel things pretty powerfully, and that can come out but in, you, in ways. Right. Yeah. But you mostly yeah. just allow yourself to do that in private within the, within yes, the family that's setting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's which right. is that's right. and 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 I, I guess what I'm realizing now too is that in a public setting where I'm where the setup is that I'm acting as uh, a particular kind of academic or considered voice like when I make an appearance for hypoallergic or when I show up to talk about my museum research I am much more nuanced and much more careful and considerate and actually will tend to want to tamp down rising temperatures in the room but I think when I'm st- at certain points during the day, and of course, as Stephen has pointed out, I am different people at different points during the day. But at certain points, I am definitely uh, someone who is is really angry, and uh, I need to, I need to, I do need to like allow myself to be that. I, I really do. Um, I would, I'd actually like to keep talking, but I know Seth, you have, you have to get an article. Yeah, written, so, yeah. um, and then t- next week we will be talking about, uh, uh, horror films. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> just, uh, probably we'll pick some of our favorites and maybe just have some general stuff to say about horror films, obviously in honor of Halloween. So yeah. this was uh, Steven's idea, which I thought was a great one. So, yeah. Boom. uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> gentlemen, thanks very much for the conversation. All right. Lovely. Thank have you. A, take care. Join us next week. <laughs>